We're back. So, Mad World Thursday listeners, just to give you an update, you are listening to the first episode of season two of Mad World Thursday. Pre-COVID, we started this podcast and totally enjoyed doing it. However, myself and Aaron Weeks, we are medical social workers. So once COVID hit, we were swamped. But with the beginning of 2021, we have decided to give this another try. What you are about to hear is an interview with Mr. Tobias Wayland. He has written the book, The Lake Michigan Mothman, and graciously did an interview with me back in the middle of the year. But because of COVID, we had to stop the podcast. And now, here is the interview. We hope you enjoy it. And we also hope to hear from you this year. You can email us at madworldthursdaypodcast at gmail.com. I know it's a really long email. madworldthursdaypodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know if you like the podcast. We also want to hear listener stories. We want to know anything that you do about the Michigan Mothman. Also, we want to hear stories from you about conspiracy theories, paranormal events, UFOs, cryptozoology. We want listeners to talk to us. We want to engage with you. So please Send us an email, contact us on Facebook or Twitter, and we want to hear listener stories. We hope you enjoy this interview with Mr. Tobias Wayland, who wrote the book, The Late Michigan Mothman, High Strangeness in the Midwest. Let's just jump right into it. Is that okay with you? Yeah, definitely. Um, first off, I want to thank your wife very, very much because I have to uh, say that I absolutely loved your um, your dedication in the book to your wife who said, To Emily, without whom this would have been written somewhere in the internet using green text and on black background. <laughs> I mean, it's Thank as you. funny as that is, it, it's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, Emily has designed the entire aesthetic for everything we do. And, and one of the things uh, that I think helped... Uh, you know, set us apart and, and really, I think, gave this investigation a lot more uh, attention than, than frankly, it, it might have gotten otherwise is Emily's ability to attract people's attention with excellent design. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. Marketing is a thing for a, a, a reason and, and she's good at it. So lucky to have her. <laughs> in many, many ways, not just for that. And you both just did an interview recently, right? Um, she, I know she helps you with investigations, but you just did an interview a couple of days ago together about something that recently happened. Am I right? I think I saw that on on Twitter. If we, I, we've done interviews together in the past, certainly, and um, often I maybe they air later. I'm trying to remember if we have had one. Super recently. Do you remember what it was for? 
I don't. And that's why I, I, I was kicking myself because I saw it, it was a twi- in the Twitter feed. And um, I was like, oh, I'd love to go listen to that. And then I made note of it and couldn't go back. And I was like, well, I wonder what all she does with him then. Like, oh, no, what yeah. kind of a team effort do they have? Oh, sure. I mean, she doesn't do that many of the uh, interviews. Uh, I, I think I am much more comfortable speaking in public than, than she is. Um, although she's come a long way as far as, as, as that's concerned. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, actual teamwork, I mean, we work together all the time. Uh, you know, this isn't, uh, this isn't a, a, a project that is owned by, by more than uh, one of us than the other. Uh, you know, certainly she has been, I mean, she's, she's been there every step of the way. She has been there for every on-site investigation. Um, you know, she was there uh, for every interview um, as far as like witness, you know, uh, uh, interviews and, and stuff like that. And so um, as far as, yeah, working together as a, a, a team, I think we very much are a, a, a team. You know, it's not, it's not just my thing. Um, as, as, as far as that's concerned, you know, I think that uh, she is, uh, and I, I'm going to speak for her, but I'm, I'm real comfortable speaking for her about this specifically because uh, we're, you know, this is something we, we talk about. Now, I, she doesn't have the, the background in investigation that I have necessarily. And so when we started the Singular 40 and Society back in uh, the, the spring of 2016, uh, you know, she was just learning from scratch, frankly. And I think that she has become more comfortable, but uh, she still tends to uh, take a backseat to me in, in, in many ways when it comes to the investigation itself. Although, you know, there are definitely things that I lean on her for quite a bit. You know, she is much more knowledgeable than, than I am about things like photography and videography. Uh, so, you know, if, if there's a, a photograph that we need to, to have analyzed, I mean, she's much more qualified than, than I am to look at stuff like that. And so she really brings this uh, expertise uh, in, in, you know, video and uh, uh, photography analysis that, that um, you know, otherwise we, we wouldn't necessarily have, frankly. I mean, she's the one that, that taught me just like the rudimentary uh, uh, knowledge of Photoshop that I even have. So she, uh, she, she knows quite a bit. That's awesome. I, I love husband and wife teamwork. I, it's, um, I kind of envy it, honestly, because this is very much just my thing. This is, this is summer's thing. <laughs> That's <laughs> so. a lot of people though. Like most of the people that I know that are involved in this professionally in any way, um, you know, most of the time it's, it's more their thing than necessarily like their spouse's thing or, or, you know, um, uh, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And, uh, and that just seems, that seems to be pretty normal. And, um, I guess I just feel really lucky, honestly, you know, because it is kind of like working with your best friend. So it's great. Well, I do this podcast with one of my best friends, so there's that. <laughs> we joke that um, uh, my husband's a little older than me, and her husband's actually a little younger than her, but we kind of joke that, um, you know, if something happens to the spouses, it's just going to be me and her together in this very platonic 
slightly weird lesbian way. But um, <laughs> so we're talking about your book, uh, The Lake Michigan Mothman, High Strangeness in the Midwest. And which, like I said, I've enjoyed it. My husband went nuts over it. He's he's really loved it. Um, I just I want to know a little bit about yourself because it's interesting to me how you got into this. Also, I want to know a little bit about the mutual um, UFO network that you were a part of. So you were a part of that originally. Correct. And that's what got you into looking into this Mothman phenomenon? Well, sort of. It was a, a, a sort of long and winding road. So what initially got me interested in these types of uh, topics would have been a, a series of unusual formative events, you know, when I was very young and sort of throughout my life. And um, in that process, as a, a part of those experiences, uh, I came to know authors like, you know, Lauren Coleman and John Keel and, and Brad Steiger and just a, a, a plethora of, of different uh, writers. And, and what I saw them doing was, you know, going out, uh, investigating things, talking to people, helping people, frankly, uh, sort of work through their experiences. And at that time in, in my life, I didn't really know that that existed when I was a kid. And so I, I read these books by them and I, I saw what they were doing. And it, it, it helped me a lot because, you know, paranormal experiences, especially as a, a child, can be very isolating. And so when I, I grew up, in my mid to late 20s, I, I decided that, that I wanted to sort of give back and, and try to help people in the same way that those writers helped me, frankly. And that's when I decided to join the Mutual UFO Network as a field investigator. And so, you know, that um, was a lot of investigating UFO sightings, of course. And it, uh, it was a very interesting experience um you know relatively often i could explain a sighting as 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 something mundane uh, i i tried never to do that without you know any sort of of hard evidence because sort of the the last thing that i want to do is invalidate someone's experience you know without cause because often these events are are, are very powerful impactful events for people um and so after, boy, a few years, I, um, I decided that I, I needed to, to leave MUFON. And, you know, there were a, a few different reasons for that. I wasn't necessarily happy with the direction that that organization was going and, and sort of their uh, prevailing paradigm. And, uh, and, and so I left them. And I started investigating on my own. And then in 2015, uh, Emily and, and I met, and, and <laughs> so it's funny, on our, our actual first date, she, well, you know, we were sort of talking about what we were interested in, and, uh, and she told me about this uh, uh, paranormal story, legend, phenomenon 
that I had never heard of. And, and it was relatively close because we live in, in Madison, Wisconsin. And so if you, you know, drive four or five hours north, you can get to the, the upper peninsula of, of Michigan. And she told me about the Paulding light, which I had never heard of, which is this, this phantom light that you can go see up in, up in Paulding, uh, Michigan. And, and that impressed the hell out of me because I, I had never heard of that before. And, you know, it, long story short, you know, we were uh, uh, married in 2017 and about a year and, and a half or so before that, we had started the, this singular Fortean Society. You know, her, her background is uh, she has degrees in photography and design, and I, uh, my, my degree is, is in English. And so, you know, we thought between the, the two of us, we could come up with, with something like some sort of, um, you know, organization that had a, a platform where we could examine the paranormal as experiential phenomena. You know, because that's that's really something that that we both agree on is that the the heart of of paranormal phenomena is is the experience itself, and we really can't understand these things outside of people's experiences. And so, um, after we started the Singular Fortean Society, and boy, I, I hope I'm not digressing too much. Um, no, 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 this is great. <laughs> All right, good. And so after we, we started the, the Singular Fortean Society with that, that uh, particular philosophy in mind, uh, would have been the spring of 2017, I saw that three different uh, sighting reports had come through the uh, MUFON case management system. And that's something that, that anybody can can look at. Like you don't have to be a, a member in, in good standing with, with MUFON to see the initial reports. Now, I, good luck finding out the, the actual results of any of their uh, in investigations. They are pretty notoriously tight-lipped about that. Uh, but you can find initial reports. And so, you know, I, I had seen these three come through the, the uh, case management system there and they were interesting you know um and they were unusual for MUFON in that they weren't really ufos they were flying creature sightings and you know uh, another interesting thing is that, you know they were only two hours south of us in in chicago and so you know i i found out what i could which wasn't a whole lot um and and wrote a uh, an article about them you know sort of uh, uh informing that article with uh with MUFON's press release regarding them at, at that time. Um, and, uh, and and that was the introduction really into into what, what was happening really all around Lake Michigan. Uh, I, I came to find out later by speaking with the uh, uh, MUFON state director, Sam Moranto, a nice guy. And, and you know, I, I have my issues with, with uh, MUFON, but, uh, you know, I, I want people to understand that there are a lot of good people working, you know, with, with MUFON and, and, and any opinion I have shouldn't take away from what those people are doing because it, I, I understand the, uh, attraction that people have with working, uh, with an organization because it, it, it can be easier in a lot of ways. And, and to a certain extent, I, I guess I sort of get the, um, you know, ends justifying the, 
the means and, and, and all that. But anyway, so uh, having spoken with, with Sam about those sightings, they never really managed to investigate them. Um, honestly, you know, they, they had very limited communication with those witnesses. Um, you know, they, they verified what they could. There, there were some uh, discrepancies that, uh, that, that were apparent, and I, I verified all of that myself, of course, which is in the, the, the book. But um, there really wasn't much to those sightings. I mean, by themselves, they, they weren't really all, all that interesting. You know, frankly, if that had been all that had come out of uh, uh, Chicago, then I don't think we'd still be talking about this. So you separate your book. So the idea with your book, as far as I'm understanding, is that you tie what has happened around Lake Michigan um, with the Mothman of Point Pleasant because of similar uh, look and feeling of people who have seen it who have witnessed and experienced it. Um, and for anyone who's, and I'm, like I said, I, I usually ch- cut and paste to edit as far as interview goes. But so the idea of the Mothman, Mothman himself was something that happened in 1966 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Um, there was this, the sightings of this winged creature all around the area and there's been some ties of there was a bridge that collapsed um, not too long after the sightings. And there's been some ties to saying that supposedly he was this, I don't know, it, he was prophetic. He came he came along to let you know that danger is fixing to happen. But I think you actually addressed that in your book, right? That that that's more of something that happened in the movies. <laughs> so, um the Mothman prophecy movie with Richard Gere was about the Mothman that happened in Point Pleasant in 66. And so Mr. Whalen's book is discovering something similar, similar sightings that happened around uh, Lake Michigan and the Chicago area and, and all around in that area, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And so sort of the, the connection there from... Uh, my perspective and, and, and it's something that I resisted for quite some time frankly because I, I, I didn't want to uh, sensationalize anything and there was a certain connotation that that comes with uh, the, the term Mothman you know it's a it's in older investigation that that is uh, gaining in, in, in popularity and it's sort of known for its high strangeness but at a certain point, there there just wasn't any denying these similarities, and and so if if you look at what uh, John Keel was was talking about back in in that flap from uh, 1966 to 1967 back in in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, um, you know you'll see uh, you know talk about uh, you know. Uh, UFO sightings and, and other strange creature sightings, even other strange flying creature sightings. And, you know, um, you'll hear witnesses talk about you know, glowing red eyes and and this, this quickly, you know, flying creature um, and this abject terror that's uh, in, instilled in them almost supernaturally mm-hmm. just by the mere presence of, of this thing. Um, 
And so those were all aspects of this uh, investigation around Lake Michigan, which ostensibly, you know, started in in spring of 2017 with those uh, those those three MUFON sighting reports. But as the investigation went on, interestingly enough, uh, we saw it spread out as far as where we were receiving the reports. Like uh, they actually spread out all along Lake Michigan within you know via a couple mile radius, and then stretched back in time all the way to to 1969. Mm-hmm. And so it's. It's possible that, that whatever this, this thing is has been going on for, for quite some time, um, at, at least since, you know, that, that era of the original Point Pleasant uh, uh, Mothman phenomenon. So the incidents that were happening around Lake Michigan, you pick them up in about 1969, and the book is, is split up between what happened pre-2017 and then after 2017, because 2017 was when you were actually able to investigate sightings, you personally. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of when the uh, investigation, you know, caught up in, in, in real time, you know, so really... Everybody involved with the uh, investigation, um, you know, so Lon Strickler, Man, uh, Manuel Navarrete, and, and, and myself largely, um, that's when, you know, we started the actual investigation, you know. So I, I thought it, uh, it, it worked narratively to uh, sort of catch people up to that point with everything that we had received during the course of the investigation, uh, you know, pre-2017, and then you get up to 2017, and then it's time to talk about, well, what exactly has has gone into this? And, you know, how did I get involved with it? Uh, what what has happened uh, behind the scenes? How much work has gone into everything? And, 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 uh, and, and what do we make of it, I guess? And you do talk about Lon and Manuel a lot, and if I am correct, Lon is connected with... Um Phantoms and Monsters, but Manuel, was he connected with... Uh, he, uh, he actually has a site where he takes UFO reports called uh, UFO Clearinghouse. So the sightings would come into them, and then you would pick them up from them and go forward, or...? Well, it was an, an, an interesting situation because I actually started with this uh, investigation you know, covering it journalistically. So, you know, um, after those initial sightings came into MUFON, like I said, if, if that's all that, that had, had ever, you know, come to light, uh, I, I don't think we, we really would have paid that much attention to it. But that's not what happened. You know, these, these three sightings come through MUFON, and the next thing you know, uh, I keep seeing these sightings being reported. And, 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 and they're largely being reported uh, through uh, Phantoms and Monsters and, and UFO Clearinghouse. And so, you know, I'm, I'm naturally intrigued by that. And I say to myself, look, I, I wouldn't be doing a very good job of covering this if I don't talk to these guys. And so I, I set up interviews with them. Uh, I, I think I talked to Manuel first in June of 2017 and then Lon the following month. And I, I interviewed them both, and uh, you know they were both very pleasant, professional, and, and forthright uh, 
as, as far as answering questions. And, you know, it, it wasn't too long after that, um, you know, through continued uh, communication and, uh, and, and mutual friends that, uh, you know, uh, Lon asked me to uh, help uh, with the, the actual investigation it's, itself. And so, you know, we, we, we have a platform here through the Singular Fortean Society where we can, of course, publish articles and, uh, and we are often contacted by witnesses uh, to uh, uh, in, investigate their own uh, unusual sightings and, and, and things of, of that nature. And so initially, most of the sightings were definitely coming through phantoms and monsters and, and UFO clearinghouse. And then eventually, once we became more involved through the Singular Fortean Society, uh, we started getting our own sightings. And so there was a good mix of... Uh, you know, because Lon's out in, in Pennsylvania, uh, so he, you know, wasn't able to do any, any on-site stuff. Luckily, uh, Manuel actually lives in Chicago, and then, you know, Emily and I are just two hours north in, in Madison, so it's very easy for us to, to get down there, too. Um, and so a lot of the time, you know, Manuel was able to uh, in, investigate many of, of his own citing uh, uh, reports that, that he would get, and sometimes he would ask us for help as far as, like, maybe re-interviewing a, a, a witness or asking an opinion on something, you know. Uh, but, you know, for, for Lon sightings, often, you know, he would, uh, you know, toss them my way and say, hey, look, you know, I, I talked to this person. Would you talk to him too? And then maybe you can go meet up with them and, and investigate this area or something because, you know, again, he, he just lives so far away. Um, and so that led to us being much more, uh, it, it involved than, you know, just covering it internalistically. At that point, like, we're, we're a part of this story. Um, and then, you know, as we got more involved, like I said, we started getting our, our own sighting reports. And, um, yeah, I, I, I guess the, the rest is history. <laughs> so, according to your research, the first thing that happened was in 69 with the young boy that was actually basically snatched out of his house. Yeah, so, I mean, that was, uh, boy, Floyd Hancock, right? Yes. And that was an interesting case, to be sure. So uh, this was one of the, the, the more, I mean, terrifying cases, really, frankly, um, because of the fact that, you know, there was physical contact, which is unusual, to say the least, in these cases, um, but also because... You know, Floyd, he was willing to go on the record, and that's unusual. And it's been my experience that uh, generally when people are willing to go on the record uh, for, for no gain, honestly, like he had literally nothing to gain by putting his name to the story. Um, you know, he's, he's made no money off of it. He's never asked to make any money off of it. This is just something that he felt very strongly that he needed to to share with people because it was such a, a, a powerful event in his life. And so really because of those reasons, um, I think people look at that story and, and they find it to be, I mean, not only one of, one of the most interesting, but also one of the, the, the most frightening. And so um, essentially what, uh, what, what Floyd talked about happening to him was when he, when he was a, a, a child, um, 
October 27, 1969, mm-hmm. in Rolling Prairie, Indiana. Uh, he lived in a trailer with his, his small family. So it was him, his parents. Uh, he had a, a sister who was an infant at that time. And um, his grandmother lived there as, as, as well, or was staying with them. And they had uh, had some damage to their trailer recently. And so there was a hole in the roof that they had covered temporarily with this tarp. And uh, he's sleeping one night and he shares a, a room with his sister. And he wakes up to something. Um, you know, it was a, a strange noise or uh, and a, a, a disagreeable odor. And he wakes up and he looks over and he sees this, what is essentially a, a monster, you know, looming over his sister's crib. And, you know, it's, he describes it as this, um, you know, seven or eight foot tall, hairy, uh, gargoyle winged monstrosity. And he's looking at this thing and it's, you know, it's got these, these sharp teeth and, and dark eyes and he screams, you know, like he screams for his parents, like basically anybody would do, frankly. And they don't come. Uh, his grandmother runs into the, the, the room though. And when she sees this thing, um, she's just immediately stricken. Like she runs in, she sees this thing, just falls to her knees, can't do anything. And so at, at this point, this monster crosses the, the room, grabs Floyd, picks him up, goes into the uh, uh, living room where the, the hole was in the ceiling. And Floyd said that he could see where the, the tarp had been removed. So uh, presumably that's how whatever this thing is got in there. And uh, um, this thing goes out that same way with Floyd in hand. And he doesn't remember much beyond that. You know, he, he remembers being cold and wet uh, as this thing spreads its wings and flies away. Uh, and, and he remembers hearing like his grandmother screaming, uh, but that's it. And so he wakes up sometime later, he's back in his bed and his parents this time are actually there. And his grandmother is there and they're terrified. And at, at that point, they sort of tell him the rest of what happened, at least that they are aware of. So, you know, uh, his parents felt like they had been put into some sort of hypnotic trance, like they just weren't able to move or, or, or respond to, to what was happening. And it was only after the, the, the monster had left that they sort of came to and, and they're able to, to move. And so, you know, he was gone for, for several minutes, according to, to them. And, you know, as they're, they're, they're waiting for something, you know, trying to decide what to do in this, in this state of terror, um, they hear this, uh, like thump on the roof. Um, and they go up and they, they find Floyd up there and, and no monster. And so they, they, they bring him back in and they ultimately decide that, you know, they're not going to contact the, uh, police. Like there's no reason to get any authorities involved here. And, and I don't blame them. I mean, frankly, I, I understand that's something that a lot of people struggle with. I think, especially a lot of people who are sort of outside the community of 
paranormal experiencers. A lot of people struggle with witnesses um, not calling the police, but I mean, I ask those people to try to look at it from their perspective. Uh, what were the police going to do? At that point, their son's back. Uh, he's not physically harmed. Um, and, you know, especially at that time in 1969, uh, can you think of a better way to get your kids taken than to call the police and, and tell them some wild story about a, a, a monster kidnapping your son with literally no evidence to, to show them that, that they would believe? Um, it's, uh, it, it, could, it couldn't possibly help. It only could have done more harm than good. And even at that time in 1969, you know, people had a good almost 30 years of seeing what happened to people who went public with their stories. I mean, you look at, uh, let's say, the Flatwoods Monster case from the, 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 the 50s or Kelly Hopkinsville from that, that same decade. And, you know, those were national news stories. Those were witnesses who came forward and really put it all out there. And they wouldn't do it again. They absolutely wouldn't do it again. Because doing that practically ruined their lives. And so I think people knew that. And, uh, and I have to believe that, you know, in, in, in 1969, people were familiar enough with that narrative to know what happens if, if you get the, the police involved. Because the, the police get involved, the press are going to get involved. And once that happens, your life is a circus. And, um, you know, if there's no real pressing need, if there's nothing they can do for you, it's, it's just not worth it. And, and that's something that we saw time and time again while in, in investigating these sightings. Well, one thing I thought about, too, while reading that story was they said that they lived in a trailer and that there had been some damage to the roof and there was a tarp over the roof. So I'm a social worker, and my first thought was low income. This might be a low income family. And so... Being low income in 1969, they might not want to go to sue the police. They might not have a good relationship. Um, so to me, when I read that they didn't go to the authorities, I wasn't surprised. That's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there were there there were probably many reasons, but yeah, it's that that makes a lot of sense. I am curious, where did that information come from? Now, Floyd actually was interviewed by Lon, and so uh, this came from. Uh, uh, phone interviews that that Lon had had with with Floyd regarding this this incident, and then of course me working with with Lon afterwards to uh, to uh, look into that that particular case. That was the first incident, as as far as your research goes about this phenomenon. And it, you go through several different, and you try to do it as much as you can in chronological order, um, several different incidences, basically describing the same thing, only not exactly the physical contact, like with the little boy. Right. Yeah, I mean, most of the, the sightings had similar physical characteristics, uh, certainly not all. Um, but I, I think that could be explained in a, a, a variety of ways. But, um, yeah, the, the actual physical contact was very unusual. And uh, 
Boy, to my mind, I think that might be the only case that I have seen uh, in our investigation that involved any kind of physical contact with, with this whatever it is. So the physical attributes, what this entity looks like um, is usually described somewhere between four to seven foot tall, winged, red eyes. Is there, and there's usually a sense of fear associated with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, generally speaking, yeah, people, and that, there is quite a range of, of height. You're absolutely right. I mean, it's it, it can be anywhere from four to, you know, eight or nine feet tall, frankly. Uh, people often use uh, bat or or, or bird like descriptors, um, and uh, yeah, there's there's often glowing red eyes. Um, many people will talk about um, not much else as far as uh, physical details. Sometimes you know people will will come up with. Uh, uh, additional, you know, details, maybe saying that like they saw the feet and the feet looked like human feet or, or, or something similar. But, but often um, people will uh, say that it was too dark and, and not necessarily just because it was nighttime, but because the creature itself was so dark, they, they couldn't make out, you know, other, other physical details. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that feeling of fear is uh, it's, it's very commonplace. And, uh, well, it's, it's very commonplace in those sightings that I, I think, um, you know, are, are likely to represent something paranormal because not necessarily every sighting is, uh, is, is going to be uh, uh, unexplainable. You know, not every sighting is, is necessarily uh, paranormal. Sometimes there are, uh, you know, mundane explanations for, for, for things. And of course, if we're going to do our, our due diligence, we have to we have to investigate and record those things as well. But when, when you're talking about the, the paranormal sightings, uh, fear is a constant. And there was only one in the book that you discussed where she, this woman was not scared and she felt kind of in awe and thought it was beautiful. Now, there, there were some cases, and, and most of these cases, I think, have a, a fairly high likelihood of being like misidentified large birds or something. Um, but there, there certainly were some cases where people don't describe fear. Uh, they might say that they're really curious or something instead. Um, well, for instance, that's that's something we saw in the, the Pilsen video, like that case. Uh, that particular witness, um, you know, he was never scared. He was just really curious um, uh, about what he was seeing. And so, you know, when that turned out to be a, a, a large bird, uh, it wasn't a, a huge surprise. It was a very useful case because it, it really helped me develop this profile of, uh, of, of, you know, misidentified large bird sightings. So I could kind of look at other sightings that were very similar and be like, well, that could very easily have been a, a misidentified large bird. So I found it. Chapter 55. Uh, I mean, sorry, page 55, chapter 7, nothing to be afraid of. Sorry, yeah, there's there's so many of these that I I, I need a, a, a 
refresher. I remember this witness. Yeah, she was the the taxi driver, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she was very tough. Um, yeah, she was the one that. Yeah, she she described it as beautiful. Yeah. She. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, she she literally says, "I I can always quote from this because you're absolutely right. It's very interesting." Uh, the wings were so beautiful. I'll never forget how amazing they were. Yeah. She described it as a, a very bat-like being. Even says she could see the veins bulging from all the angles of its of, of its wings and everything. So that doesn't necessarily lend itself very well to something like a, a misidentified bird. She even goes on to to describe how she'll never forget the eyes. And this is interesting, too, because this is not the first time that a, a witness has said this, but she said that they felt piercing and felt as if, as if they looked right into her soul. So, yeah, you're, you're actually right. That's certainly a very profound feeling that that isn't fear, and that might be the only case with you know a, a relatively high likelihood of being paranormal where that is the witness's specific experience which is is really interesting you know that was one where uh you know i i've certainly had witnesses who have had difficulty expressing or or admitting to 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 fear um those aren't very common and i don't think this is one of those you know because she really does get into some some detail about the profundity of this experience from her perspective so i mean clearly something very powerful has has happened and so it's tough to know what to do with that honestly um as far as as that's concerned uh you know she she did report the, the sort of piercing feeling from its its eyes and that's something that people report um, in the more, you know, uh, uh, horrific or, or terrifying uh, uh, narratives, too. So, I don't know, like, it, it certainly has things in common with those uh, without, uh, without seeming to have that, that, that element of fear. So, very interesting. Yeah, and not to go too coast-to-coast coast AM with this, um, you know, I, I want to stay with your book, but you do mention this briefly in sections and spots, and I appreciated this. Um, when we're, you know, we're not just talking about maybe some cryptid. We're talking about a phenomenon. We're talking about something that might be, and you discuss it in your book, I think. Let me see if I underlined it. I did. I am loath to explain one mystery with another, but I find nothing wrong with speculation in the name of discovery. I won't tell you that Mothman is an interdimensional being summoned to our reality by two witches on the shore of Lake Michigan during the blood moon of September 2015, but I will ask you, what if? But you also said, I marked my pages here because I really like this. Okay, I'm sorry. My dog just got a toy. Let me kick him out. <laughs> That's okay. I actually have a dog, and we have a cat, too, so I, I totally get it. Usually they're being complete dinguses anytime I have to do something like this. <laughs> but I got lucky, and they're just, they're both sleeping right now, somehow. <laughs> well, he's, he's not. He just decided <laughs> to not sleep. Um, 
So you said, I can't shake that feeling of unexplained relations of events. There's some aspect of this phenomenon that is enormous and just out of sight, a depth of paranormality concealed beneath the surfaces of reality, and it touches everything connecting it. UFOs, ghosts, cryptids, cryptids, magic, all of it. And then you also said, if I'm going to be able to find it because... I'm the goof who, oh no, it was just, um, the thing about, um, <laughs> about the witches and the blood moon. Um, so I often wonder with these types of things. Well, first off, I want to, I appreciate the, the idea of not looking at this as just a cryptid, but as a phenomenon itself. And it might be tied to so many different things, but when I hear stories from witnesses of events. One of the things I've always wished being a social worker and being very interested in, in people's backgrounds and their, and what's going on with them socially, economically, psych, you know, going on mentally, um, when here, when hearing things, I've always wanted to ask people, especially the people who, don't describe a usual experience. So in, in other words, the woman who said, I wasn't scared. I thought it was beautiful. I'd, I'd love to ask her some questions about theology, you know, what her background is with religion, because I'm willing to bet um, she might not have had a strict uh, Christian upbringing. Okay. Um, I'm... I think that sometimes people who don't have those normal, those normal reactions might have, have, have a different relationship to spirituality than some of the many Americans who grew up in, um, more of a Judeo Christian, at least surrounding background. Well, I think that's a really interesting point. And, you know, uh, to, to continue with that, too, I mean, when you look at how that um, witch in, in Chicago responded, you know, to to this, this situation when I talked to her, um, I mean, she was legitimately concerned about the creature. You know, she was like, well, whatever, I don't want people to hurt this thing. Uh, I, I think that we have to establish a relationship with it, whatever it is. And so I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a very valuable perspective to have because absolutely, I think people's experiences uh, uh, color, you know, the, this, um, this, this phenomenon, whatever it is. And, you know, you, you have to wonder, I guess, because so much of this seems to be uh, interactive sort of on that, that level of, of consciousness, you know, where the phenomenon itself uh, seems to uh, respond in a way that is um, reactive to people's beliefs. If, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a feedback loop at that point, you know, where, you know, maybe somebody... Uh, who has a, a particular uh, religious perspective is going to see this as, as a demon 
And so they have this fear and they're projecting this fear to this thing and the thing is projecting the fear back at them because maybe that's how it, it, it communicates. You know, I mean, we don't like, we have absolutely no idea. Um, but it, it does certainly seem that, you know, it, it, it could be uh, uh, reinforcing it, it, itself or, or, or that narrative through this interaction. So, um, yeah, I think there are a lot of, uh, of levels of this to be explored. And, and that's a good one. That's an absolutely good one. I've always wanted to ask that question to witnesses. You know, just ask a little bit about background and thought sure. and get that data. You know, how... How many witnesses who of any kind of event um, feel fear or feel that this event happened specifically for them? Um, I, which is something I run into a lot when I read over any, and I read over UFO cases, when I read over Bigfoot, when I read over seeing, um, you know, somebody who thinks they're, they're seeing shadow figures, a lot of them will say, will say I feel like this happened specifically for me. And I think that's an interesting, those are the, those are the things that I would love to, that's the kind of data I would love to collect and then ask these people about their religious thoughts, how they grew up, um, and try to pinpoint maybe experiences or similar backgrounds, psychology, and not to be a skeptic, but just to be a little more, almost profiling people in a way as to what their, what their experience is going to be like. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's, that's something that I, I certainly do if I'm interviewing a witness, um, you know, I, I'm going to ask them things like, you know, have you experienced any other paranormal phenomena before and since, uh, you know, that's, that's one that I, I think is really important. Um, and then, almost inevitably people will if they have religious beliefs um you almost don't have to ask people because if they have strong religious beliefs they're going to tell you and um that is something that i i have seen with with some of these these witnesses definitely uh you know the the uh witness down in uh, woodstock um a wonderful man, uh, you know, uh, Emily and I went down there, met him, met his wife, they're great people. Uh, they certainly had strong religious beliefs, and I don't know, it, it certainly colored the narrative that they had begun to, uh, you know, write for themselves regarding exactly what he had seen. Uh, I, I don't know how much it colored his reporting of the event itself. Um, I felt like he personally, both of them really, didn't want it to sound like they were, uh, for lack of a, a, a better phrase, you know, they didn't want to sound like religious nuts, you know what I mean? Um, they, they wanted to be taken seriously, but they had some ideas from a religious perspective, what what he might have, have witnessed. So um, it's something that, that I had thought about at the time, and I didn't spend a lot of time on that narrative because it, it, it wasn't one that I found 
particularly compelling. I mean, that to me, uh, explaining things of, you know, uh, trying to explain any paranormal phenomena through uh, religion is it's it is that trying to, you know, um, uh, explain one mystery with another. And so, um, you know, it's not something I, I, I spent time on, but I mean, that's, I think that's a, a really, really good observation. And it is definitely something that came up, you know, in, in this investigation. And, and I, I think that's a part of it insofar as, you know, human belief and human perspective is a huge part of this. Yeah. And as far as no, wanting to know a little bit about religious beliefs, I would look at that more as just collecting, honestly, collecting scientific data in, in a way. Um, but because I do think that if we're looking at something that we don't understand because it is completely different from us, we are having to go through our own interpretation. And so that is going to be um, dependent on uh, you know, what movies we like to watch, what our influences were growing up, what, um, you know, if we're looking at something that we think might be supernatural, well, guess what? Most religion relies, is tied to the supernatural. So it just, it makes sense to me that, um, knowing more about people's backgrounds might, when collecting data, might help in future know understand more about what's what's going on i guess that makes if that makes sense it, it totally does you know like i i think that uh, that that that's a great point you know it, it it really is something to be considered you know i mean honestly like even the 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 movie thing there are a lot of people who for lack of any better way to describe what they had seen essentially compared uh you know whatever they had witnessed to the uh, creature from Jeepers Creepers. And, you know, on its face, that seems a little silly to people. But the fact is, a lot of these witnesses struggled to find the vocabulary to describe something that was completely alien to them. And I think that's completely understandable. You know, of course they did. And so they had to try to related to things that they were familiar with and and sometimes you know that that might be colored by religion sometimes that that might be colored by you know popular culture it's it's you know it really speaks to the 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 nature of 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 what uh, experiencing these these types of events is really yeah, and that actually ties back to when you mentioned the Hawkinsville case. Um, that's what everybody was saying was that because this was the time period when these UFO and alien movies were being and and Little Green Men movies and War of the Worlds and all of that had become such a popular thing, when these people witnessed and ex and described what they were seeing, they were basically describing Little Green Men and um, Silver suits and a downed ufo but that's what they had to compare it to right and i mean that's that's exactly it and so you know i, I guess for for some people it, it it becomes a a you know chicken or the the egg scenario although you know i not to guess but i always felt like that particular 
like metaphor, it never really made any sense because if you believe in evolution, it has to be the egg, right? Like it just has to be. But uh, sorry, anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you're 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 absolutely right, and it 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 does sort of become this this situation where, um, uh, yeah, I mean, is popular culture being influenced by human experience or? Is human experience being influenced by popular culture? Well, Nancy, yeah. But I think the chicken and the egg phenomenon, you know, the idea of the chicken and the egg is, is just, it's just a philosophical question. You're, you're... I, I know, I like to make terrible jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but no, but what you're saying, that is a philosophical question. Is pop culture, you know, influencing people or are people influencing pop culture? It's a a never ending loop, I think. I think it goes both ways. I, I do we anything that happens creative on the planet has it been thought of before? Um, so if uh, I don't know, that's a whole nother <laughs> rabbit right. hole. I don't that's know. sort of the 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 ennui of of all artists, right? Yeah. Like there are no new ideas. So, you know, it's the same thing with, um, with these, these types of phenomenons being reported. There is no new phenomenon. <laughs> it's all tied together. Right. I mean, and, and that's, boy, you know, honestly, we, we could talk about that for hours because you're, you're absolutely right. Like you, you start getting into not just the work of John Keel, but like Jacques Vallée, uh, more more modern, you know, uh, uh, researchers like my 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 friend Joshua Kutchen, and uh, he actually wrote a book recently uh, with uh, uh, another mutual friend, uh, Timothy Renner, um, about uh, paranormal Bigfoot, and you know they 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 really get into uh, sort of the the folklore, uh, which goes back quite some time. I haven't actually had a chance to read all the way through it yet, but but you know there's there's folklore that is remarkably similar to what people are, are describing even with with modern Bigfoot sightings it goes back you know quite quite some some uh, some time into into history and and you can you could say the same thing about uh, UFO sightings certainly uh, even like UFO occupant sightings you know um, uh, or fairy lore and and uh, in UFO lore or, or alien abduction lore I mean there's there's just so many uh intersections in those those narratives that um yeah it it doesn't seem like like much of this is is anything new so having you having said that and we're on a tangent um have you by any chance watched any of hellier i caught i i wrote a review uh, of the first season so like I was given probably the first three episodes before it released and then I wrote my review based on that and then I watched the rest of season one after that but hadn't I you know I haven't watched season two yet okay so um I haven't read your review I will admit I have not read your review um (laughs) that's fine uh, the idea that if all of these different areas would talk to each other, cryptozoologists, paranormal investigators, 
UFO researchers, if they would all start talking to each other and might be able to get to a little bit more of a consensus of some of the things that are going on. Do you totally describe, prescribe to that, that idea? Oh, sure. I mean, that's, that's literally what, um, the word Fortean denotes. So, you know, we, we, we call ourselves the, the singular Fortean society after, uh, Charles Fort, you know, mm-hmm. the, the early 20th century collector of weird news stories. And so, you know, kind of what he would do is he would collect all of these weird, uh, weird news stories from all over the, the, the world. And then he would, he would write about them. He would he'd write books and, and, uh, and, and do some like sort of tongue in cheek speculation, but he was also very insightful. And, you know, one of his most famous quotes is, uh, one measures a circle beginning anywhere. And that is to say, by uh, studying any aspect of the paranormal, you can understand something about all of it. So, you know, uh, by studying ghosts, you can understand alien abduction better. And by studying fairies, you can understand UFOs better. And so, uh, yeah, I absolutely uh, uh, subscribe to that. Now, you quote Wild Talents a lot. Is that one of your favorite favorite books of his? I, yeah, it's it's definitely up there. It's, uh, it's certainly has my favorite quote of of all time in it from like from him but uh yeah it's it's a good one i'm I'm not going to tell people not to read it uh literally everybody who is into this stuff i i I think should um really consider reading charles ford um it's you know yeah he, he was writing in in the early 20th century but he's very funny and i find it very easy to read you know some people are, are thrown off like you know they don't like to read something that that is is that old necessarily but um but i i, I think if most people would 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 give them a try like they they really enjoy it yeah um the best stuff was probably written way before i was born um and that is something that i've actually had some people ask me what is a 14 and I, and I try to explain it. How do you describe a Fortean? I mean, literally somebody who um, studies the, the, the paranormal holistically. You know, it, it, uh, for instance, you know, one of, one of uh, Fort's, uh, like, like one of his uh, prevailing causes, really, was the idea of certain uh, data just being discarded, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily just have to be, you know, like super serious materialist science, uh, like scientists throwing out, you know, all data in, involving, you know, uh, ghosts and hauntings. We can have that in the paranormal community. We can have that when, uh, you know, uh, uh, materialist cryptozoologists, you know, the, the, the people who believe that, uh, Bigfoot, for instance, is an undiscovered ape species, and nothing, you know, nothing more than than, than that. Discard all incidents of Bigfoot reports that involve anything paranormal, you know. Um, and so, a Fortean has to be somebody who accepts all data. Like you don't necessarily have to believe everything that you read, but you have to be willing and capable of looking at everything and you have to be able to entertain an idea without necessarily subscribing to it. 
but you can't just discard things out of hand because they're not convenient to your narrative. Um, you have to be able to examine things holistically. Now, coming back to the book, um, I did want to touch on... Here we go. Uh, page 72, chapter 11, 2017 and beyond. You said that... So you you kind of tried to categorize the reports um, after 2017 because that's when you actually got to start investigating yourself. And so you said that there were basically three categories. There was large bird sightings, um, unexplained, and then potential hoaxes. And I want to say that you said that of the over 100 sightings and associated high strangeness phenomena recorded in the timeline... 52 were listed as unexplained, 49 were listed as potentially large birds, and only two were listed as potential hoaxes. So, the large birds, do you still think that that might be tied to the herons coming in? In, in some cases, certainly. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I mentioned the Pilsen sighting before, and so for anybody not familiar with that, um, we received a report from, I believe it was May of 2018, from a witness who was bicycling to work in the Pilsen neighborhood of uh, Chicago one, one afternoon. And, and this guy is, is, you know, bicycling along and he's, he's wearing a helmet and attached to his helmet, he has this GoPro camera. And, uh, you know, I guess he likes to record you know, his, his bike rides, which is, it's a thing. People mm -hmm. do it. And um, as he is going to work, he sees this, this man and woman standing on the street corner, and the man's pointing at something in the sky, and they're both clearly looking up at something. And so that draws his attention, and he sees what he initially described. Now, he, he, he said this to Lon and myself, who both had the opportunity to, to interview him. He said uh, that he saw what he described as either like a, a giant bat or a humanoid bat or a person in a wingsuit, you know, flying. And so, you know, he's very curious about this, obviously, because that would be very, very strange to see. And since he's got this camera recording anyway, he decides he's going to follow this thing around and, and get some footage of it before he has to be at work. And he does. And, uh, and you know, so again, uh, Lon talked to him. I talked to him. He was very forthcoming uh, and very helpful and you know he was more than willing to uh, give me that video footage and and he did and we were able to to get some some still images out of it and blow them up and he confirmed you know like where this thing was in the video and everything so we weren't making any any mistakes as far as uh, you know uh, uh, trying to say that um, you know what we were saying he saw was was something other than than what he actually saw and so um sure enough we blew this thing up and, and it was a bird i mean it was a thousand percent a a a bird from the silhouette looked like a a great blue herring frankly um it's difficult to know for sure uh just you know comparing it to the the silhouettes of of you know great blue herons in flight that's what it looked like the most, and it makes a certain amount of sense considering um, 
that you know they they are relatively common in that area, just all around Chicago, uh, around a lot of Lake Michigan, frankly. And um, and so, at no point do I think that that witness was not relating his experience authentically. Um, he, I mean, he wasn't lying about what he saw, and he really thought, you know, at that time that that he had seen what what he described. But the fact is, the evidence directly contradicted it, and and that's about you know, like that's one of the few times where I will uh, 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 allow a witness's experience to be invalidated insofar as saying, okay, no, you didn't see a giant bat because it was clearly this bird. Um, you know, normally I'm, I'm, I'm loathe to do that because, you know, I, I wasn't there. And unless I have, I have hard uh, evidence, I, I, I don't want to put somebody through that um, if, if I don't have to. And so, you know, I'll, I'm much more likely to say, I don't know what it is than I am to try to explain something, um, you know, with, with, uh, information that I, I, I don't have. So, um, it definitely turned out to be a, a, a large bird. And I noticed that the, the narrative of his experience matched, you know, quite a few other sightings where you would have these daytime sightings of people who would see something flying, uh, often, you know, relatively far away, couldn't make out a lot of detail. They just saw this big flying thing, um, you know, with uh, like skinny legs stretched out behind it, you know, sort of how a lot of these birds will fly. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and they matched basically like his, his story. And so even if they would describe it in a way similar to him, if it lacked all of the elements that made a good paranormal report, so say seeing the thing uh, relatively close to having uh, you know paranormal elements to the sighting, like you know, like we talked about that fear, or really more importantly, um, the sense that uh, you know there was some sort of uh, almost psychic connection, like the thing was peering through them or staring into their soul or you know uh the feeling like they were paralyzed by its gaze or something similar um, or you know glowing red eyes like that was a a, a big one you know and no, no no mundane bird is going to have those necessarily now there are things like um uh, eye shine and stuff to consider with with uh birds and in some cases i i i, I think that can be read but um, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about these, these largely, you know, uh, daytime sightings, uh, not exclusively, but mostly, um, that shared all of the, you know, not necessarily, I guess all of, but many or most of the elements of this, this, this Pilsen sighting. And so I think what I was left with at that point was, well, if there's nothing that stands out about it, um, as far as being paranormal, and it matches this Pilsen sighting and, and, and has a very similar narrative with the circumstantial evidence that we have, you know, uh, about how many of these birds are around um, and how their, their populations have exploded in these areas over time. 
um, you know, matched with the hard evidence we have in the, the Pilsen case of that video, I, I think it's, it's reasonable to say that they could be misidentified large birds. But not, okay, let me write, am I right in the, the, the Vance Thunderbird? Oh, yeah, Vance Nesbitt, sure. You don't think that that was? I don't know what to make of that. Um, it's hard for me to come down with a firm determination most of the time. And so where I landed on that was... Because of who the witness was. Now, you know, I, uh, Vance had been helping out with the investigation. And the way he described the bird made it seem like if, you know, for instance, if you are willing to believe Vance's testimony, and I really had no reason not to, considering how well I know him, and sort of his background then I'm not saying that it necessarily had to be something supernatural but it didn't seem like it was necessarily something normal given the size so it was one of those things where uh, without being able to, to have any, any sort of firm determination like oh this is definitely bad I, I, I was in a position where I felt like the most honest I could be was, you know, explain my relationship with Vance, explain why I would take his testimony seriously, and then say, um, you know, if, if you believe Vance, and I have no reason not to, then uh, could this have been a bird? Yes, certainly, he described it as a bird, but a, a normal bird, probably not. And what do I mean by normal bird? Something that would be outside of the experience of somebody in his position, you know, where he was at that time. Um, you know, I, I guess, is it possible for some, uh, you know, out of place species of, of very large bird to have wandered into Illinois and been sighted um, by him? Sure. Um, at Absolutely. Could it have even been an abnormally large uh, uh, example of something that is native to that area? Okay, sure. That's that's a possibility too. Uh, but I wasn't willing to just say that there wasn't anything weird about his sighting specifically, um, because I, I I didn't want to be dismissive. Now, you say in the book that you feel like it touches everything UFO, ghost, cryptid, and magic. So, I get cryptid. You you mentioned a little bit about magic with some, some women who um, did a ritual and maybe caused some of the phenomenon. Uh, wh what about, um, crypt what about ghosts and UFOs? There was evidently some strange lights that came into play during this time period. Um, but what about ghosts? Sure. So, you know, when I was, when I was thinking about that, I think what 
Well, what, what I was referring to was uh, sort of the, the connections between these um, uh, 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 phenomena overall. Now, as far as something that you would consider like specifically, you know, ghostly as part of this investigation, um, you know, there are things that that might fit as far as, you know, having particular similarities, like, you know, uh, say vanishing from, from sight like an apparition or, or, or something similar. What I was really getting at was uh, sort of the, the uh, interconnectedness of, of um, all paranormal phenomena and, and sort of trying to relate that to the idea that, um, what they really have in common is human consciousness and experience. And so while there have been other cases within this investigation that actually have, uh, in, well, not, I'm sorry, not specifically the, the, the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation, but sort of the larger Mothman investigation that have incorporated, um, elements of ghosts and, and hauntings. It wasn't something, at least at that time, that was extremely well represented. Although I, I will say, I had actually, this wasn't in the book because it wasn't related to the, the Lake Michigan stuff. It actually happened in, in Maryland. And um, so this was probably one of those things that, that was on my mind and uh, I just expected everybody to know it because of course everybody reading this book can just, read my mind right um there was a woman that i had spoken to uh relatively you know, recently as as far as the book is concerned out in maryland and she had had this winged creature sighting uh with her her son present and you know as i often do i'll ask i, I asked her if she'd had any paranormal activity before or since and she really hadn't had any before but she related how afterwards she had uh, experienced certain elements that would normally be consistent with what someone would consider a, a haunting, right? So, you know, she has this, this Mothman sighting and afterwards uh, they had this, this radio that was relatively new and it, it, it had never done this be, before, um, but it suddenly started turning itself on. Uh, and I, I don't know what, if any connection there is, but it was unusual and, and, and noteworthy. And I think that, um, you know, I, I would have been remiss to uh, ignore it, you know, sort of ignore the idea of, of any possible connection. Um, interestingly enough, too, since this, um, I actually spoke to a woman here in, in Madison who uh, was talking about how her mother had seen something very similar. Uh, this would have been back in uh, or the early 2000s. I think this was, uh, boy, maybe 15, 16 years ago. And um, so this this woman said that she had seen this. Uh, well, I'm sorry. She she related on on, on her mother's behalf uh, the experience of of her mother seeing a very similar. Uh, creature in in uh, uh, Madison 
and how her mother's sightings coincided with uh, the experience of their apartment building being haunted. And so, the, you know, they, they would hear things like a, a baby crying um, or, you know, there were some weird fires, actually, which was pretty disturbing. And um, again, it's one of those things where, boy, I, that would be a heck of a coincidence to have all of that going on, you know, and have it be completely unrelated. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those things where I, I can't say for certain what that, uh, what that relationship is or, or if there's any causal connection, but uh, it, it certainly, at least in the, the, the Fortean sense, is something that, uh, that, that can't be ignored. Now I want to. That makes sense. Hopefully. I want to say in the original Mothman, there was some um, interference with the radio during the time. They would see before they would see it, the radio would cut out, come back on. I'm trying to yeah, remember. I, I remember Keel, uh, you know, having written about, um, yeah, similar uh, phenomena, similar to that, and so I think it's something that people, uh, at least normally or 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 perhaps more usually relate to you know something like ghosts and, and, and hauntings but in uh in, in this case um is also reported alongside these mothman sightings so uh yeah i mean make of it what you will but it's it's certainly very strange now as far as physical evidence the one of the last chapters in the book has some photographs of some very large footprints. Let's see. Oh, is this the, uh, the Woodstock? Yeah. Yeah, there was one weird footprint. Uh, there was, excuse me, there was one footprint that was photographed by the, the witness, and I think that that was likely a, uh, a boot, just a, a, a boot print. But while we were out there, we found... Uh, um, uh, separate uh, footprint that looked to be of a, a bare human foot, but distorted. Um, and that certainly seemed uh, anomalous. You know, uh, it's difficult to prove any, any uh, you know, uh, uh, paranormal uh, cause or anything behind that. But yeah, it was it was definitely strange. It was out to, if you would have been at the entrance to the, the Dewfield Pond, like natural area there, where he said he had seen the, the creature come out. And while the, the, the witness and his wife were, were leading uh, Emily and, and I uh, around back there, you know, we're getting closer to the entrance. And I, I happened to see this print that, you know, had uh, individual toes and it looked like a, a human footprint, but, uh, you know, much wider and, and much more elongated. And uh, like the only thing I could think of is, uh, you know, how people will wear those bare feet or uh, barefoot running shoes. Um, if I guess somebody had been out running, I mean, there was snow on the ground and, and, and this print was in ice. But, you know, if, if somebody had been out running in, in one of those and, and maybe the, the footprints had been, uh, you know, melted by the, the, the sun, which is something that happens if, 
you know, there are footprints in snow or, or, or ice. They, they can be distorted, certainly. What struck me as odd about that is, is that there's only one print. And so I, I, I sort of thought that, well, if this had just been somebody running out here, um, you know, I, I would have expected to see at least more than one print. Uh, so, yeah, it, it definitely seems strange. Now, as far as physical evidence, is that everything that you've kind of encountered? Is that everything that you've collected? What other physical evidence have you Well, I mean, seen? short of that, I mean, really all we're left with are, you know, a, a handful of, uh, you know, photographs and, and video, which frankly don't show anything that I don't think could be explained in a in in another way and yeah that that footprint and some some witness sketches and uh yeah i mean that's that's pretty much it as as far as physical evidence now there was testimony regarding things like damage to cars but um we don't have any proof of that you know like there 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 aren't any uh photographs or 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 uh, well, the cars themselves or anything to, to be presented. In one case, that's probably due to how old the sighting is. And in another, um, it, it really has uh, to do with the, the fact that the witnesses were not that cooperative and, and, and we had limited contact with them. So, yeah, there really was a, a, a dearth of uh, physical evidence present for this, but... Um, you know, I, I don't know that, um, you know, this would, this is necessarily something that, you know, is a, a undiscovered animal or, or you know, uh, otherwise uh, biological creature. So um, who knows what, what kind of, of evidence, you know, we, we could expect to find. Which definitely ties more into the idea of, being more, I guess, Fordian about investigating it, because if there's not as much physical evidence, then, um, but yet people keep experiencing something, then that ties into the fact that this might not just be cryptid, that this might be um, something beyond just an unidentified animal flying over Michigan. Um, so I wanted to ask, after this book was written, have there been more cases? Have they been coming to you? Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, see, we sort of, see, we ended in just after Woodstock, which was early... 2019, maybe? 2019, yeah, it was February of 2019, um, let's see, we also included the, the Flying Witch, which was a, a, an interesting descriptor. Um, yeah, and so since then, we've received, let's see, that's all that's first. Uh, yeah, I mean, there have been a, an additional, let's see, three, six, nine, uh, an additional, sorry, I'm just doing some quick math, looks like 16 cases that we had received as far as reports after uh, uh, Woodstock. So from um, 
see spring of 2019 on and also um you know uh, uh, interspersed throughout there have been uh boy i don't have a count off the top of my head but at, at least several um older cases that uh that, that that would have taken place years ago that that we've added to sort of fill in the the, the timeline so uh it's, it's definitely something that's still being reported i mean that that uh that case that i talked about with the uh the the, the woman and the you know the, the weird haunting phenomenon uh happening concurrently um with the 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 sightings that her mother had um like i that took place in the early 2000s but i i just spoke to that woman probably a week ago so definitely these are reports that that are are, are still coming in um the most recent one uh as far as you know happening the most recently uh not necessarily like most recently one taken but in our timeline um was from march of this year actually uh manuel himself said that he had seen something very strange while he was driving near uh, O'Hare International Airport, which sort of seems to be the, um, the uh, at, well, at the very least at the center of many of the, the, the more recent sightings. Um, I don't know what the, the relationship there is, but certainly uh, many, if not all of, of the most recent sightings have occurred in a relatively uh, close radius around that that airport. Well, I definitely want to give you credit for the um, depth of research that you do. Well, thank you. I was um, I was very impressed with that with the book. A lot of times you don't get that when <laughs> when reading um, when reading people's investigations. So I was I really appreciated that. Well, thank you very now, much. Now. Some of the oh sorry go ahead. Oh no, I was I was just thanking you. <laughs> Honestly, uh, some of the newer are. Do you cover that on your website? Yeah, definitely. Um, we have all of the the citing articles up up on our our website. So uh, you can actually go to our timeline on there. If if you go to our homepage, uh, singular forty and dot com, and you scroll down, I don't know, maybe. A third or two thirds of, of the way down on the homepage, you can find a, a, a link to the, the Lake Michigan Mothman timeline. And so what we've done is we just have it all laid out, you know, from uh, Floyd Hancock sighting in 1969 all the way through uh, uh, Manuel sighting in March 3rd of, of you know this this year. Uh, every sighting report um, that has been received, and then uh, there's a little. Uh, you know, sentence or, or, or two describing it. But then there's a, a, a link to the actual article. So you can go and read an, an article about it as well. And what about in other places outside of Michigan, outside of Point Pleasant? Do you take those? Do you pay attention Absolutely. to them? Yeah, I mean, as, as far as the, the Lake Michigan Mothman investigation, we've received reports from, you know, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, at every state bordering uh, Lake Michigan. Uh, as far as the Singular Fortean Society, we absolutely do. Um, you know, I've, I've taken uh, uh, flying humanoid reports from uh, Canada, Maryland, California, uh, all over the place. And, and we're not limited to that. Uh, 
you know, I've, I've investigated uh, uh, Bigfoot sightings, um, you know, ghosts and hauntings, UFOs, alien abduction, all, all sorts of things. Uh, even, even stranger, frankly, like we get some reports that, um, are unique and, uh, and, and, and we don't turn anybody away, honestly. So if there's something we can do to help somebody and investigate their, their sighting, um, or even, you know, honestly, sometimes people just want to talk and sometimes they just want to bounce some ideas off you and they don't want their story published. That's fine too, frankly. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have to publish people's stories. Um, what's most important to me is, you know, being able to do what I got into this to actually do, which is, is help people through their experiences with, with these phenomena. And I, I'm looking at your website now. I'm looking at um, where people can get a copy of this book. So I see from your website, I know also Amazon, correct? Because I think that's where I got mine, was through yeah. Amazon. Um, yeah, so the, that link on our website goes to Amazon. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it's just a, a, a way for people to get there. Although typing the Lake Michigan Mothman into the, the search engine at uh and Amazon will 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 get you there too. Um, so if anybody's interested in a a signed copy, uh, that is something that we're planning on adding as an option through our website soon. So look for that in in May. Actually, probably at the very end of the month, since you know there's only a, a few days left. But that's that's something that I'd, I'd like to get up before June. Um, so, and that's a, a nice way because we don't have any conference, uh, appearances this year, obviously. Um, so, you know, if, if people want to have a, a signed copy of it, we, we would love to be able to accommodate that. So look for that coming soon as well. And you also have t-shirts, I see. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, Emily, like, you know, I, I can't say enough. She's, she's very talented and her designs are, uh, nothing short of amazing as far as I'm concerned. Like I own a lot of those t-shirts myself because, you know, she designed t-shirts that I think are cool. So I just, I bought a bunch of them and I just wear them around. Yeah. I definitely think I, I want to go for the highly strange hoodie. That's one of my favorites. Like I, <laughs> I, I have that t-shirt because, you know, I mean, high strangeness, of course I have to get that. Yeah. I'm all about the high strangeness. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking time out of your day. Oh, thank you. I, this was a lot of fun. I was happy to be here. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you thought so. <laughs> I always have fun, but I'm always worried that the person on the other end is going, God, when is this going to be over? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, but I am I am naturally chatty. I could go for hours. So I hope I hope it didn't bounce around too much for you. No, that that was great. Uh, you know, sometimes it's it's funny. You know, having written this book, like there are times you know where I'll I'll be interviewed and somebody will bring something up and I'll be like, oh man, I don't remember that. Like I you know I'll have to flip through the book and like, oh yeah, no, okay. And just sort of like remind myself, well, like, honestly, like the, in, including ghosts, 
um, in that, that, that sentence at, at, at the end, you know, like I said, where my head was at with that was, uh, sort of relating all of these things as related, uh, phenomena in that they're like experiential. And, and I think that it, it, I think they all relate to like human consciousness. And so like, I, that just caught me completely off, off guard, but it, that's great because I think that's important you know, having like an actual interesting conversation, right? Well, I'm always up for that. I live in middle of nowhere, South Carolina. So, interesting conversation can, you know, about these topics. Sure. Not unless someone's really drunk. Not unless the person I'm talking to is really gone. Am I going to get a conversation out of them? (laughs) hilarious so i mean i grew up in a relatively small farming community in wisconsin so uh you know like we we, we live in one of the, the larger cities in in, in uh, wisconsin now but uh i mean yeah that was my experience growing up you know like you, i had a handful of weird friends uh but that was about it you know so yeah you know what i was part of the drama crowd like i was a drama i was a theater geek for years and um that was, believe me, that was as weird as it got around here. So I was even an oddball among oddballs. Best way to be. Well, anyway, thank you. Um, what's next? Are you working on anything new? As far as yeah, publishing or? Yeah, I, I've definitely got some some projects that um, were temporarily delayed, obviously, you know, because of the, the global pandemic that we find ourselves in and everything that has happened, you know, as a result of that. And so um, we are getting back to work on stuff. Um, so I had been in talks with uh, Seth Breedlove over at uh, Small Town Monsters. Um, you know, and he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. I've worked with him before, and, and, uh, and, and we're friends. And so after the, the book was published, you know, he, he read it, and... Um, approached us about doing a, uh, a small town monsters on the trail of the, the Lake Michigan Mothman. And so things are opening up enough where we should be able to begin filming on that soon, which is super exciting. And one of the nice things about being a, a paranormal investigator is it doesn't necessarily involve being around a lot of people. So if you're limited, you know, by, by local order, by, you know, to the, a certain number of people in one area, you can usually accommodate that pretty well. So uh, we should be able to get filming on that soon. So definitely look for that this year, I think, um, which that's a huge honor for us, obviously. Um, you know, I've been covering small town monsters for a, a couple of years now and, and reviewing their work. And then, um, you know, I, I was in terror in the, the skies. Uh, I went down to, to Illinois to be to be interviewed for that. And, and I thought that that turned out really well. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about that project. I think that'll be a really cool documentary. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've always got writing projects that I'm, I'm, I'm working on. Uh, you know, I was uh, recently working on an essay for an anthology that a friend of mine is putting together. Um, I don't actually have a title for that, so I, I can't tell you yet. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I have a couple of, of book ideas that I'm kicking around that I'd, I'd like to start soon. So, you know, look for an uh, announcement about my, my next book later 
this year. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Tobias Wayland from back in May of 2020. And like I said, because of COVID, we had to stop. There was a small hiatus, but we are back with more episodes to come. If you want to find out more from Tobias, you can follow him on Twitter at singular 14 and also you can check him out at singular14.com. And we will be back in two weeks with another episode of Mad World Thursday. Thank you.